This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 137 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Max and Nick, 137 episodes. Sometimes when I say the episode number, I'm just kind of like, holy crap, I can't believe we've gotten to this point. I can't believe people still listen to us, but uh, we're here. We're uh, we're hanging out here in the middle of this Sunday here. Nick um, has pushed our recording time back for some really great things that we're going to talk about uh, in the main portion of the show. A great opportunity that has stemmed for him and uh, his road trip was I'm sure enjoyable. Not it really. Was, yes. <laughs> I'm sure the travel back wasn't that fun on a Saturday night, but it no. never, <laughs> it, it never is on a bus. Obviously. No, we'll, get, no. we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, like we said, in the main portion of the show, of course, uh, center us a few news and notes a little bit more to get to a couple of uh, hall of fame things. Of course it is hall of fame week in the national hockey league uh, and some other things that we're going to jump on. As far as that is concerned, main portion of the show, Nick, this NCAA schedule, I cannot get a read on it. I am trying and trying, and every week it continues to surprise. And, you know, I, not that I haven't ever paid attention, but I feel like once you start to really kind of look in depth, just maybe even casually in some senses at some of the other leagues and some of the games and you track them week to week, you go, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, kind of kind of fun to follow up on those sorts of things. Of course, NCHD action, we had plenty to talk about and will talk about quite a bit, including an analysis of some penalties on Friday night. We're going to go through them all, and we're going to have a live video breakdown uh, for our listeners and viewers. And we're going to talk about that game on Friday night, Nick. So it uh, should be pretty interesting. Women's hockey, talking about them. Three games on the docket for them this week. Minnesota Wild, uh, interesting couple of weeks for them. And then our extra ice session, just a very quick blurb. We're going to recap and interpret uh, St. Cloud on the men's side, their first 12 games games on the men's side and maybe touch on some women's hockey too. So we start as always with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly Roundup here, Noah, and uh, the first bit of news we have to talk about, and this has really made a lot of the discussions concerning the, uh, shall we say, all the hockey circles that the Bruins, after somehow signing Mitchell Miller, decided to try to pull the mulligan card, uh, and with less <laughs> yeah. than 40 hours later, they have parted ways, and there's still essentially discussion on what happens with this contract situation? Well, um, 
from what it sounds like anyway, is that the Bruins, even with the way that they would buy that contract out, are still on the hook for about $600,000 of that contract, which on the cap, yep. like Mitchell Miller is going to get paid. He's going to get paid to do nothing. nothing. Yeah, to do nothing. And it's interesting because there was also the other discussion. For those who missed it, by the way, we talked about it in our extra ice session last week. And of course, right after we finished the show that day, this news broke and kind of uh, you know pushed things forward even more. The other thing that's interesting, we talked about how the National Hockey League had uh, said, you know, he's not going to play in the National Hockey League. And the NHLPA, at the behest of everybody, but part of their job said, there's nothing in our bylaws that actually makes him ineligible to play in the NHL. Like, just because you don't like him doesn't mean that you can restrict him from playing. So, but the Bruins, and of course their fan base and their players on top of that, were all like, yeah, no, not great. And to to your point, and today the NHLPAs, they're technically correct. Yeah. Technically correct. However, as uh, as Gary Bettman said without saying it, right, basically what he says is we don't want you on the ice because we're making record revenues and we don't want sponsorships to pull because we have this gentleman who seems to have made some progress, but not enough. And more importantly, hasn't addressed. There's there's so much conflicting reports out there about uh, whether he's addressed the family. It's the family uh, said a direct statement from Isaiah himself. Yeah. Isaiah Meyer Crothers Um, um, released a statement essentially because a lot of people were badgering him about why his mom was making statements and why he can't stand up for himself. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, he's got I think he's I think he's married now and he's got a kid and that sort of thing. And some people were, were even saying, including um, Mitchell Miller's dad, about like, oh, he's paid for this, you know, 20 times over and kind mm. of along the lines of like, oh, you know, Isaiah Meyer Crothers had a disability, but it wasn't that bad. He wasn't, quote, one of those type of people, which is just absolutely asinine in, in so many Respects and what so a ma- what a major f up by the Bruins not contacting the family, not having the discussion. I mean, just what a gong show, man. Yeah, gong <laughs> show. Um, at the end of it, uh, from what we know, Miller not a tendered player uh, right. for the Boston Bruins, but again, uh, organization because of the signing. Again, the contract was filed, and what we know uh, with the central registry. So. I, I buy out at a cap hit and Miller's going to get some money regardless. Yeah, right? Because, because you mentioned the final last point you mentioned, you know, Bruins parting ways with Mitchell Miller, Mitchell Miller didn't rescind his contract. He didn't retire. So the Bruins are on Correct. the hook for that because it's basically like signing a player that you then want to it's buy official, out. It's a contract. Yeah, so. And this was an NHL contract. This was not a two way deal. This was a, League minimum, league NHL minimum contract, entry so. level deal. That's correct. So, yep. um, let's move forward here a little bit to uh, some brighter news. Maybe um, I, say, I say, how forward are we moving here? <laughs> right um, from one to the other. So, Tempe City Council um, unanimously. I said that word right. Yes, unanimously on Thursday night to send a proposed arena and entertainment district proposal to a referendum in May. Yeah, it's quite a bit of a wait. So that is interesting. Um, talk about punting, you know, your problems down the proverbial road. Well, um, um, you mentioned this though, for those who don't know, know what a referendum is, this is actually putting a vote to the people like you mentioned. Correct. Um, but I believe due to Arizona state law or city council law, their special elections are, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's why this is moving. So it's like, it's forward progress, but it's also uh, not, it's very slow. It's not because the city council has the authority to approve the district. They have the, they have the, the legality to do so. Right. What this tells me is they're not sold. 
Yeah. Honestly, they're, they, they, what it tells me is they don't get a read. And so now they're essentially saying to the folks, here you go. It's now your choice. Um, it's, for... a huge, it's a huge project, though. You know, I think it's easy to say, oh, if it was just the arena, you know, okay, maybe we make a decision. But, you know, like we mentioned, it's a whole essentially new part of a city in, in some senses. You, you know, yeah, approve, but they, they have to approve the development and disposition agreement, general plan amendment and zoning amendments before that special election, which that takes time, too. So, right. But at the end of it, if you really were that confident, you already would have pulled the trigger. In yeah. my in my in my view, I again this goes back to something I've talked about for months now. Uh, the ownership group has the reputation of not being the folks who follow up on what they promise. Right, and I think that the city the city council is essentially trying to effectively not be the bad guy in the situation yeah. well, one you, way or the other. Do you think for the city council? And I don't know. I don't know how big their city council is. But let's say it's twelve people, for sure. example. Do those 12 people want to be on the hook for making a decision that will influence decades and billions of dollars of development and affect their taxpayers, their residents, you know, and said, how much easier is it in the grand scheme of things to push it back, you know, eight months and say, you guys are the people that live here. You guys are the ones that go to Coyotes games. Tell us what you think. Maybe that's the easier. Maybe it's the more respectable well, play in some senses. I don't know. And here's why I say that you are elected officials, meaning you're supposed to be the voice of the people. You're supposed to have a pulse on essentially the temperature in the room, right? You're you're elected to make these tough decisions. Yeah. And to me, what I view from this whole ordeal is, again, this to me, this is less to do with the city council and, and, the, and the fan base. It has more to do with the ownership group in Marowello, because if they had confidence in Marowello, they yeah. had confidence in the ownership group. I don't think this needs to be on a referendum. You mentioned though, you know, having a pulse on your constituents, basically. Right. Do you think that this actually might be a prime example of that in saying, you know what, be. you know Absolutely. what, like, like we don't feel that us as a group of 12 have enough of a, you know, definitive say in how we perceive this. So we're going to pass it on to you guys. You are the people we represent. I'll go what one further. Think? Yeah. I think I think they do have a pulse, and I think they're looking for that pulse to be shared with the yeah. with the people. And I think their pulse is, we're not sure. Well, I I, re I really do think so because you got to remember too that. No, I agree. Uh, I agree. I was just know, wondering if the Arizona the, Coyotes themselves have a pulse. That's what I was curious. They about. don't. That's and that's the thing <laughs> is, you know, you're, you're locked out of your own building going back to Gila, Gila River Arena. Yeah. Then you're behind months with your American Hockey League team on your rent. And yeah. supposedly with a sports book opening up in Vegas, you're projecting these incredibly big sales numbers such slash revenue that you'll be using towards the current renovations at Mole Arena, plus the help with not only the cleanup, but also part of the ownership stake in this new district, right? Yeah. So... I, I again, I understand the, the thought process. I understand why the city council is doing it. But again, if there's a different ownership group and there's more of a collaborative effort there and yeah. a more secure source of funding, I think that's the other thing is when it's gambling revenue, you just never know. Look yeah. what happened to Vegas, especially during the pandemic. I think that there's less confidence in the funding. That's why this continues to be pushed down the road. And mind you, you know, there's a multi-year agreement with the Coyotes, but if I'm the National Hockey League, this is still keeping this whole situation essentially, you know, uh, on on an imbalance. There's there's not, you know, there's not any sort of uh, sort of solid ground for this organization still until 
one way or the other, right? Well, whether yeah. it gets approved or denied, this organization's in limbo. That's the last thing the NHL wants to see this Coyotes squad be in. What a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. So yeah. uh, let's go back to this instead. Um, something that is a little bit more positive. How about the World Cup of Hockey? They pushed it back to at least 2025. Uh, they were hoping to get it to uh, February 2024. Uh, but it no, looks so- like... No yeah. surprise. I think that, you know, the new CB, that's when the cap is supposed to expand by $10 million. New supposed CBA, to. I believe, expires that year as well, too. And the NHL has not been a part of the World Cup of Hockey since 2016. So I think the timing maybe just makes more sense. Disappointing for fans, but I think it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine the CBA? And I think if you're the World Cup of Hockey, too, the I, the double IHF, you're trying to avoid um you know, those labor relations talks, as you know, the NHL has gone smoothly. Um, <laughs> uh, new, uh, newly retired, uh, actual good news. Uh, yeah. Uh, defenseman PK Subban joined ESPN in a multi-year deal as an analyst. I actually think he does pretty well it's gonna be as awesome. an analyst. He's going to be really good. He's going to bring some energy, bring some, uh, bring some vigor uh, to, yeah. uh, to the broadcast. Um, 2022, also good news, Hall of Fame induction this week. Um, Herb Carnegie in the Builders category, as well as former players Roberto Luongo, um, Daniel Sedin, Henrik Sedin, Daniel Alfredson, and Rika Salinan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, Salinan, uh, who's a Finnish player, by the way, a female Finnish player, is probably regarded as one of the greatest European players in women's hockey history. Um, eight world championship tournaments, four Olympic appearances, played from 1988 to 2019, had a brief retirement stint and injury in there, and then came back and played again. So, I mean, that's a you know, a span of 30 years and change, right? You know, which is uh, pretty interesting. A lot of Vancouver Canucks in this one, the Sedin Twins, their package deal, quite obviously, Roberto Luongo. Yeah. Been a long time coming, as well as Daniel Alfredson. Surprised it took him that long for him to uh, kind of make that jump. But um, yeah, it's great. I, it's good to see um, uh, Salinen, Salinen, however you say it. I always forget Selenin. how to say it. Yeah, too too many too many L's and I's and N's in these Finnish names. Just ask Nina <laughs> Newland, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, so any anything you want to add on the Hall of Fame stuff, Nick? You know, if it wasn't for uh, Harold Ballard. <laughs> and some of the things uh, Roberto Luongo could have easily been a Toronto Maple Leaf, but uh, uh, yeah, they would have found a way to mess that one up. They I would think, have but, still. So. Um, well, moving on to some other news, a couple of uh, sadder topics here. Uh, first one, Peter McNabb, a Colorado Avalanche color analyst, a former Denver pioneer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14 season NHL hall of famer back in 2021 has died at the age of 70. Um, he had cancer since last August, continued his analyst duties while undergoing chemotherapy treatments once every three weeks. Wasn't permitted to fly, of course, so he worked Colorado's road games from a local studio. So good to see him. Uh, you know, he was able to do that. 813 points in 955 regular season NHL games. So we wish the McNabb family all the best. I believe he is the son of uh, a former NHL general manager and executive as well, too. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, a lot of ties to hockey there. Did a great job, I thought, as the color analyst for the abs. And uh, just a very difficult uh, story to go through. Another difficult one. I don't know if you got a chance to see this. Um, you're yep. Salming, the ceremony the Leafs had the other night um, in their all Swedish starting lineup. Um, the Leafs played Vancouver that night and seeing him, you know, cry as he came to center ice and stuff. That was, I cried, like, no joke. I cried. I watched it and I definitely teared up. I mean, it was unbelievable and that ceremony and for for folks you know it's more moving because uh salmi suffering from als uh, yep. garrick's disease and uh again we talk about salmi in terms of what he meant for the growth of hockey especially for european players he took a lot of abuse in terms yeah. of 
uh, just being the European kid that was in North American territory. So he really paved yeah. the way for a lot of the European players that were in the uh, in the NHL today. And if it weren't for him, yeah. uh, the NHL landscape could look quite different. So um, he is a pioneer. Um, it's it's unfortunate the uh, the battle he's going through with ALS, but a very very moving and touching ceremony again, and all the recognition wholeheartedly deserved for Salvi. Yeah, not able to uh, um, essentially speak, unfortunately, you know, yeah. and it's difficult to watch him go through that, knowing what potentially might be coming there. Um, of course, still holds a lot of records among Toronto Maple Leaf defensemen. Uh, like you mentioned, one of the first European players to come over really got the crap beat out of him, you know, back in yeah. the 70s. That was back in Philadelphia, the Broad Street Bullies, um, you know, laid down, blocked a lot of shots and took a lot of punishment, a very smooth skating defenseman. Uh, of course, I believe 1996 Hall of Fame inductee, 2006, his number was raised to the rafters. And in 2015, I think uh, they had a statue unveiled for him too. So uh, j- just a great human being, great family and difficult to see, but that ceremony was extremely, extremely touching. It's on the Sportsnet YouTube page. If you want to go check that out, you definitely um, have got to see it as the title so eloquently says. A uh, couple more topics here very quickly. Waiver wires. Nikita Zaitsev uh, put on waivers by the Ottawa Senators. Two years left at $4.5 million average annual value on a seven-year deal there. That's a very difficult uh, one to pull up. I think he had like two points and he was dashed three before they sent him down and he did clear waivers as far as I had seen. So, um, yeah, the Zaitsev have a very interesting fall from grace for him. Injury side yes. of things, uh, Blue Jacket, Zach Wierenski out for the season, basically, with separated shoulder and torn labrum against the Flyers. He went in awkwardly trying to finish a hit uh, the other night. This was a very awkward just looking play and uh, you can kind of see why he might have some damage there. So very tough. The blue jackets cannot catch a break this season when it comes to the injury bug. Evander Kane out three to four months after that skate cut his wrist for the Oilers the other night. I don't know if you got a chance to see that, but he essentially fell down and got stepped on uh, basically during that play. That was a very difficult uh, one to watch there. Gave Richard Zednick and uh, um, why can't I think of his name? I can see his. Clint Malarchuk vibes uh, with that as well, too. Uh, Speaking of netminders, the Maple Leafs netminder Ilya Samsonov is week to week with a knee injury, and the Leafs subsequently signed goaltender Keith Petra... Petrozelli to a two-year entry-level deal. As of last Sunday, he had a 6-0 record with the Toronto Marlies in the AHL, a 9-22 and a 2.31 goals against at age 23. And then Thomas Shabbat, Ottawa Senators as well, out at least a week with a concussion for the Sens. Welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 137. Nick Maxson alongside myself, Noah Grant, recording in the middle of Sunday. We should be recording uh, next Sunday as normal, back to maybe an earlier morning uh, start next week at least. But uh, Nick, uh, we're a little bit later today. A great opportunity for you just coming back from a road trip to America's second wasteland, <laughs> South Dakota. Southern wasteland, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, back from Aberdeen. Uh, what, have you been, what have you been up to? I, I was the road broadcaster for the North Iowa Bulls in the NAHL. So it was uh, a kind of a trial by fire. Um, You're trying you, to be me. I get it. And uh, shall we say that the absolute worst broadcasting position I've ever been in in the Aberdeen Wings? <laughs> oh, yep, yep. Oh, my goodness. The Odie. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, the Odie. Um, now, mind yeah. you, wonderful people there at Aberdeen to, to kind of help me out get set up. But uh, for don't, those, don't lie. Nobody likes Aberdeen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, it's 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 almost like they took what was supposed to be like a, almost like a uh, a livestock ring 
and then made it into a hockey arena, sort of. Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. Like you're um, actually not off on that at all. <laughs> like, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> shall we say that the broadcast position is in the corner up a bit, and let's just say there are blind spots galore. Yeah, it's bad. Um, it's uh, it's definitely was probably the most challenging uh position i've ever called a game in uh you know i, I, I don't know i don't I know brought the, a, i wish i would have brought up binoculars i don't know honestly. the the light tower at the university of north dakota at, yeah you know, that was arena was pretty crazy that one however at least i could have a full ice sheet and if i if i had binoculars honestly would have been fine yeah so at least there there's no any there's no obstructed views whereas right. in aberdeen because of the height and and just where just because again in the home spots no no better um, a little bit, but not much. There's just a lot of places that are obstructed. Just can't get a good read on some plays. So it was yeah. definitely creative. You know, it, it made me, uh, ch it challenged me to be a little creative in sort of things. And, uh, uh, but other than that, uh, went well, I think for the first weekend. Yeah. The puck's down on the other end and, uh, we're going to get you caught up on our sponsor reads while we yeah. <laughs> battle it out in the corner. Right. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very excited for you, obviously, and that opportunity. So, uh, yeah, North Iowa hockey games, uh, especially, I believe, if you're still doing it come March, uh, that was when the Bulls are next in town, and we will probably see each other again on that weekend. I did look at that, and it is, uh, it is, uh, what do you call it? It is March. Yeah. I think March. it's like the first yeah. or, yeah, second week of March, something like that. Anyway, that's a long ways away, I feel like. Uh, let's talk about this week away. here um, in the NCAA world, uh, Big Ten. Let's start off there as always. Ohio State heading uh, to Michigan State. Michigan State with the sweep this weekend, Nick. Four to two both nights. Uh, yeah, great weekend uh, for the Spartans. Um, this Michigan State team might not be half bad this season here too, Nick. They've been kind of a laughing stock over the past half decade or so. So, um, yeah, interesting to see how that ends up. Penn State, Minnesota, this was also a Thursday-Friday matchup, as was our last one. Penn State, um, a very good effort on that first night, 4-2 to victory for them. The University of Minnesota coming back 3-1 to in night number two. Penn State was all over the Gophers. The Gophers had, I believe, I think it was 22 turnovers in that game on Thursday night. Their defensive core, it was like something where they had like four games worth of turnovers, basically, from the back end. It was not a good effort for the Gophers. They, no. were kind of, they were kind of reeling a little bit, able to turn things around in the second night. So, yeah, Gophers, a bit of a tough one for them. Michigan traveling to Notre Dame. Michigan, a split there, 5-1 to one victory in night number one. Notre Dame, 3-2 to two overtime victory in night number two. Any Big Ten stuff you want to mention here, Nick? You know, we talked about this uh, on the MNCAA podcast, how Penn State was kind of the sneaky team just because of just how up, the ice and aggressive yeah. they are. They're a good team um, this year. They're man. a good team. Um, and I think if it did anything, it, it put them on the map for as far as you know being a contender in the Big Ten yeah. this year. Which uh, is something that I don't think we expected. I think we no. ha we had this thought that Penn State might be a, a little young, a little bit raw, a little bit, you know, just kind of underskilled a little bit. And that is certainly not the case. And they love to shoot the puck, like you've uh, mentioned so many times before. Uh, St. Thomas in the CCHA 2.0, three matchups we are paying attention to in this one. St. Thomas traveling to Bowling Green. Bowling Green, a pair of three to two victories. St. Thomas just wasn't able to find a way in this one, Nick. Ryan Steeg's Tommies, man. Uh, we always talk to him about it and he's like, that's an interesting way to say that we choked again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, poor guy that this Tommy's team, you know, but I think that the knock is always, you know, St. Thomas. Oh, 
you know, they can't handle anybody but, you know, Ferris State or these lower echelon teams. They've given some teams fits here. They haven't quite gotten over the hump, but they've been in hockey games besides the 10 to 2 blowout against Mankato. And even last year, second half of the year, they had one clunker against the Mavs. But after that, they kind of righted the ship as far as close games. So they're on the right track. I think they just young program. I mean, what else can you say? Uh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, but good. Yeah. Yeah, certainly getting closer and closer to where they feel like they probably should be in at least in the next year or two. Lake Superior State traveling to Michigan Tech, two to two overtime finish in night number one. Good to see uh, Lake Superior State. The Lakers kind of jump back on the high horse there, losing two to nothing to Michigan Tech in night number two. Bemidji State traveling to Northern Michigan. It was a split on the weekend. Northern Michigan, two to nothing victory in night number one. Bemidji State four to one victory in night number two. So uh, this Northern Michigan team has been a middle of the pack group, I would say, and Bemidji slightly better than middle of the pack. I would say they probably contention for maybe that third spot, I would say maybe in the CCHA somewhere around there. I, I mean, think so yeah. Yeah. So uh, interesting weekend there about par for the course for both those programs. I think that's a good result for both of them. ECAC. We do not have any games from the ECAC. However, we do have an update. They have tweaked the format of their postseason tournament for the first round for them. Uh, they normally do a best of three first round. The teams will now play single elimination games instead. The first round is uh, the seeds that are not top one through four, so five through 12. They play each other, and the winners still go on to play a best of three quarterfinal series against the top four seeds after that. So a little bit of a tweak for the ECAC playoffs, if you're paying attention to that. Hockey East, three matchups we paid attention to in this one. Boston University was at and against UMass BU trucking the Minutemen. Yeah. Uh, seven to two and five to one. I wonder, Nick, this UMass team, I wonder if they're just not that good this year. It doesn't seem like it. Uh They've had, you know, we talk about scheduling and in different results and things of that nature. Uh, they've been competitive until now-ish, but their yeah. competition really wasn't, shall we say, top tier. Uh, they got a top tier opponent in Denver. They had a couple mm, weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, <laughs> I like the way you said, I know what you meant, but like the way it's out, you're like, mm, Denver. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I just, okay, but it's just, it hasn't been like on a night, you know, on a basis. Cons- consistent yeah. basis. So it, it's hard to get a read on UMass still, just because again, it's, it's like they, they showed up okay against Denver, but just this weekend. Just, no. you, you know, while well, they've kind of been up and down and really haven't had a lot of traction, which the other teams in hockey East have at least found some of that on given weekends or given stretches. Correct. Um, the second one of which would have been Merrimack, another sweep for them this weekend against Maine, one to nothing and five to three for them. Not a bad little run for them in the past couple of weeks, sweeping BC last weekend for the first time in 25 years. So pay attention to Merrimack. They might be on a roll here as of late. It might be, yes. And then UConn and Providence. This was a home and home. And boy, if you wanted a winner in these hockey games, well, you left disappointed. Uh, one, to, <laughs> one to one and six to six, both overtime finishes this weekend in these matchups here, Nick. This UConn team, man. Also, this Providence team, for that matter, has been uh, has been on a roll. So, Atlantic Hockey, Bentley uh, traveling to Air Force. Bentley winning five to one in night number one. Uh, Air Force winning two to nothing in night number two. This Bentley team, Atlantic Hockey, actually has a lot of intrigue this year. Um, and I know that that is a tournament and a conference that certainly can give you anything uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to the qualifier. But yeah, it's been extremely interesting. There hasn't been really one team that's been dominant case in point, RIT versus AIC. This was last week's matchup Saturday, Sunday, four to three victory for AIC at night. Number one, three to two victory for RIT last Sunday. So again, a split last weekend and AIC had Canisius this week. Canisius 
sweeping AIC five to two and three to two this weekend. Kanisha, some common opponents with the NCHC as well. So, Atlantic Hockey always not failing to provide intrigue. Huskies fans watching intently, surely. Um, so. Anchorage traveling to Arizona State. Arizona State sweep on the weekend, 5-3-3-0. And that one, no surprise. Seawolves uh, not able to hang on in either of those games. Last one, Long Island University traveling to Wisconsin this weekend. The Badgers had a scare and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Wisconsin team, I, 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 uh, 3-2 Yikes. victory for the Badgers in night number one and clawing back from a deficit for a 4-3 overtime victory in night number two. This LIU team isn't looking half bad. This Wisconsin's team... Mm. Mm. not looking good <laughs> put it that way that's all we have to say about that apparently uh what's on tap uh for these games here big 10 notre dame travels to ohio state that'll be Min- a good matchup minnesota will travel to michigan thursday friday so uh mm-hmm. pay attention to that one early in the weekend uh michigan state traveling to penn state very curious to see how this one shakes out are the spartans for real here can penn state keep rolling mm-hmm. uh notre dame will travel next wednesday a non-conference matchup right before thanksgiving to boston university that's what's on tap for the big 10 ccha 2.0 bowling green travels to ferris northern michigan is at mankato and michigan tech will travel to st thomas Nothing in the ECAC. Hockey East, only one matchup we're paying attention to. Next week, UConn, home and home versus UMass Lowell. Atlantic Hockey, Air Force will travel to AIC for a Saturday-Sunday matchup. And independent Lindenwood welcomes another, or excuse me, Wisconsin welcomes another independent team in the Lindenwood Lions, uh, who will travel to Badgers territory next week. NCHC men's roundup here, Nick. Here's where things get interesting. Omaha mm-hmm. traveling to Duluth. UNO, a 3-2 to victory in night number one. Bulldogs, same score, overtime victory, night number two. Duluth uh, is just like our St. Cloud Huskies right now in NCAC. She played there exactly 500. Ooh. Yeah, what do you have to say? That? What do you think about that? I mean, this Omaha team has a chance to play spoiler, I think, this year. They do. Um, we, we talked about how we had them towards the bottom of the uh, of the of the echelon, but they're scrappy, yeah. man. They're scrappy. Yeah, they um, and shall we say that uh, my Gabinette listened to a couple of uh, his post-game comments and really has lauded his team's effort and the execution so far, especially against the top-tier opponents. And again, we talked about how they've given North Dakota fits. Yeah, did you do so? Um, they're just a team that I think just over the course of the seasons that we've seen in the past, you know, where teams, especially past the halfway point, I mean, after the holiday break, have sort of solidified their positions and gotten more consistent. Omaha just hasn't really turned that page the last couple of years to be that consistent performer where you're always coming out on top. So they're always a team in the mix and they're showing that again early this season. I'm more curious to see where the progression continues to go with them or if they do continue to progress. Maybe that's the better way to phrase it. Yeah, very well said. Uh, speaking of progression, Colorado College traveling to Miami to face the Red Hawks. CC a 2-1 to victory in the shootout and then a 2-1 to regulation win. The Tigers... Finally figuring out a little bit on the road, albeit against Miami, but this Red Hawks team has given teams fits this year too. And on a Saturday too, uh, CC has been a, a Friday night opponent and then a, a sleeper on Saturdays. A, sat- uh, a Saturday dud. Yep, a Saturday dud. So they And, and close games too. Um, yeah. I, we haven't seen CC really uh, be on the, the winning side of those lower scoring, you know, tightly checking games. And so this is, granted, Miami. Uh, Miami is you know better than they have been. Uh, but certainly not maybe, you know, in your top four of the NCHC. But uh, you got to start somewhere learning how to win in those situations. And for CC, they continue to make strides. It's fun to see. Yeah, it certainly was also fun to see. 
kind of uh denver sweeping north dakota this weekend three to two and six to three this north dakota team by the way we'll get to the standings in a second but north dakota is technically not technically actually right now uh seventh in the nchc i wonder the how long it's been since north dakota has been seventh in anything <laughs> to be honest with you maybe seventh best scoring percentage in the ncaa maybe. season over the yeah. course of a year but yeah uh anyway what we're here to talk about western michigan traveled to St. Cloud State to face the Huskies at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. 4-2 to two victory on Friday night uh, for the Broncos and 4-1 to one victory for the Huskies on Saturday night. Well, let's talk about Friday here, shall we? Western Michigan. Yeah, how about that? A couple of power play goals late in period number one. Uh, St. Cloud answering with a power play goal of their own in the middle frame. Grant Crookshank from Vietti Mietnin in period number two. Western Michigan, a power play marker to start period number three. St. Cloud, their second goal of the night was a shorty from Micah Miller, unassisted in the middle of period number three. And Western Michigan tacking on another moments later to finish out that 4-2 to score. Shots on goal, 30-21. to Western Michigan uh, faceoffs 40 for 69 for St. Cloud, which is a 58% winning percentage, which is very good. They actually... Huskies were very good all weekend in the face-off dot, which is something we haven't said a ton of this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, good to see them jump on that bandwagon. Uh, power play one for six for the Huskies. PK was a paltry five for eight yeah, uh, on the good. kill. Uh, 26 saves on 30 shots for Jackson Caster on Friday night. Uh, Nick, do we want to go through Saturday first, or do we want to talk full in-depth about Friday here and really kind of hash this out a little bit. Let's go Saturday and then let's go back to Friday. Okay, sounds like a plan. Saturday, a much, much, much better Better effort for St. Cloud State all around. Uh, In this one, 4-1 to victory. Grant Cruikshank from Micah Miller got us started in period number one, as did Aiden Spellacy from Andre Trayball and Ryan Rosborough, a great uh, pitch-in from the lower echelon guys in the lineup. Uh, Andre Trayball, another assist for him this season as well. Again, I think Aiden Spellacy and Ryan Rosborough, uh, two guys who have really really progressed in terms of their development this season and really have impressed. It's great to see them get rewarded. I've been much more impressed with Aiden Spellacy this season as opposed to last. He's really made strides and looks a lot more comfortable in the NCHC this year. Uh, Yami Cranola, goal number three for the Huskies from Zach Okabe and Jack Peart in the middle of period number two. Western Michigan would tack on one in period number three before uh, Yami Cranola from Chase Brand and Dylan Anhorn to close out period number three, Western Michigan uh, only had 12 shots in this game compared to 29 for the Huskies Faceoffs 66.7%, 40 for 60 for the Huskies in night number two power plays. I uh, were both 0 for three for both clubs. Dominic Bassey, 11 stops on those 12 shots and the one goal he led in uh, was kind of in garbage time and not really his fault as well. So a much better response. Uh, difficult to see uh, that late hit on Chase Brand, by the way, um, and see mm-hmm. him kind of get tag team with that sandwich play. Yeah, um, that was tough. Yeah, and people were saying, oh, you know, that should have been contact to the head, you know, targeting the head. Well, Chase Brand was essentially bent over during this play when he turned around to try to shield the puck and got hit. Um, kind of in a vulnerable spot, unfortunately, but it definitely wasn't head contact. It's hard to have head contact when a guy's bent over at your waist, basically, uh, when you're hitting him. I mean, there's nothing you can really, you know, do as far as head targeting there. You know, you can't put yourself in that position. And Chase Brand, like, he didn't mean to. He just turned away right. from the puck carrier and, you know, didn't realize there was somebody else on him and just turned into it. So it was tough to see him go down, but hopefully uh, he's going to be all right this week. But Let's talk about Friday here, Nick. First, like you mentioned, uh, we are actually going to do uh, a little bit of a uh, 
a video breakdown, so to speak, uh, of the penalties on Friday. I actually have them here on the sheet, um, and we're going to talk about them. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion uh, about the officiating in this game. And uh, we'll get to the you know final penalty breakdowns at the end of this video and where we kind of stand here, Nick. But what I kind of want to do here is I want to talk about each penalty. I mean, I have a video clip uh, going through all the ones that I could find. There was only one that I essentially could not find, um, and that was, I believe, the... Yeah, Cole Gallant's interference penalty. I don't know if it was delayed by the shorthanded goal from Micah Miller in the third period. I couldn't find video evidence of that one. The timing, the time of the penalty was the same time as the goal. So I, I couldn't find it. If I missed it, I apologize. Um, but went through all the rest of them and kind of clipped these through. So Nick, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the video breakdown. I want you to just give your honest assessment. We'll talk through it and we'll see was it a good call. Was it not a good call? How bad was the officiating on Friday? Was it as bad as everyone is saying? Um, and kind of just what we noticed as the finer points, because the NCHC officiating crew really came under fire this weekend, specifically yeah. on Friday night. Um, so let's take a look at it on the Huskies warming house podcast and see how this crew is really doing. So, Nick, we are going to start um, with the first penalty of the night, uh, which was Western Michigan's Hugh Larkin at the 712 mark. Um, this was a hooking minor. So this all kind of stemmed actually from a missed call. Maybe Micah Miller kind of went down. Uh, we have a video of it here. Um, kind of a slow-mo replay here. Do you think Micah Miller, do you think he sold this? Or do you think he was actually impeded here? So if you actually look back, it looks like his right skate actually caught the linesman. Yeah. And I don't really think, if anything – uh, if we're able to go back to it one more time, um, I don't think he was already, the guy was already beat. Um, yeah. I don't really think he impeded progress. I don't think he's affecting the play. So it's one of those where it's, as you can see here, he's angled off. There's a little bit of body kind, but he's not really holding him. Um, I think Mike yeah. and Miller falls in his on the court. I think it's a good no call. Yeah, well, I think that Miller, you know, I think just with his speed, he was kind of opening up his hips, like you mentioned, to try to get away from both the linesman and the attacking player, and your body can only go one way, and just, you know, his momentum kind of took him with with that additional contact, a nice physical play for Western It looks Michigan. worse at full speed, right? And I think that's one yeah. point I want to emphasize as we go through these yeah. breakdowns, is if you watch these at full speed, in fact, let's, let's do this if we can. Do we have a full speed look at this? The first one was full speed. Yeah, let's go yeah. back to that one more time, just because at full speed, it looks looks like he does get you know sort of taken down but if you but again and, and that's where i think as we go through these we have to remind folks is that this is a fast game yeah and if you look at this right here right there he makes contact with the official who's trying to get out of the way um and that's where you know we can break these down all we want watch that right skate right there it actually clips he almost actually slew foots the ref so yeah and he's uh, trying he's trying to get out of the way you know to right. avoid the ref obviously and puts him right in the path of right. the western Michigan player so this actually wasn't the call but this happened about 20 seconds before the actual hooking call that came so now we're going to get a look at the actual hooking call too and this starts uh, i had a tough time finding this one cuz even the broadcast struggled to pick it up a little bit here but uh defenseman going back behind the net and you can see i mean Stick on the hands here. I, I don't know that that gets called more than 40, 50% of the time, but I think timing is everything in this one, Nick. So, I mean, what do you think? Well, okay. So as we go through here, a couple of things with hooking, right? So two things. The stick is perpendicular to the body, and more importantly, watch his feet. This is the point of emphasis with refereeing is when they call the hook is if you're moving your feet, they'll usually let it slide. Watch um, pole in here. He's going to stop moving his feet right there. This is where... If you're the, the defenseman that's got the stick there, as long as you keep chugging along, you're going to get this call nine times out of ten. 
Um, and what the referee in his positioning there, he's looking right at the chest where the stick is going right across his body. Uh, if the, if you go actually through the frame a couple more here, Noah, you're going to see the stick right about there. If you look to the right of the Colborne sign, you can see where the stick is across the body. Um, that's where you can see the referee uh, finally is right there. As he tries to make the pass, uh, that's when the arm comes up. So uh, the referee's in the position there yeah, where he sees he, it the whole way. Yeah, he's like two feet away from the play. So Yeah. yeah. So this, to me, I'm okay with the call. Um, yep. Is it the strongest hooking call? I don't know if we, we say strong because, again, it's the obvious ones to us is the viewer, right, where – there's a tug or there is a, a Jersey yeah. pole. No, no, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but this one really is, he's impeding progress to the player. He's not moving his feet. And again, from the referee's perspective, his positioning, yep. um, one that sticks coming across the body that's impeding his ability to use his stick and make a play. So to me, this is a correct call. Yeah. And I wish that we could see another camera angle, but the broadcast didn't pick it up. Cause I think we all kind of struggled to figure out who was getting the call. So right. um, yeah. And again, we talked about 20 seconds after that, the bench is going crazy about Micah Miller potentially being hauled down. I mean, it kind of makes sense it, by, by definition this is a hooking call so i thought yep. this was a good call to start the game um you know as much as you kind of want to uh discuss that so of course worcester zero zero in in terms of the play right now st cloud grant crookshank i believe the huskies are on the power play right now um mm-hmm. actually on that initial power play 737 uh into period number one just 20 seconds later, Grant Crookshank and interference minor. Kind of hard to pick up on this first one. It's at center ice. We'll wind it back here the for pick. those. Yep. Yeah. So, and then we got a multi-camera angle. This one, Grant Crookshank wasn't happy about this one, but I think once you see the reverse angle, I mean, you can't really pick it up here. I mean, it's the, the evidence there. is on the ice, but I uh, will get a reverse angle look here that I think gives us a much better thought. I mean, pretty hard to argue with this one, Nick. Yeah. So at the end, of, first of all, the stick yeah. comes out. So you could have called slashing. You, yeah, you actually had a choice here, but the interference is the call. And so on a breakout pass like this, where you have the four that's coming back against the grain to the pass, right? You're taught to sort of essentially be what's that, what's the, the NHL's term kind of obstruct a little bit, yeah. like just get in the way slightly. And, and here for Crookshank, uh, the six going to come down over the stick, knock yeah. it out to me. I mean, I mean, there's no reason for it, right? There's no reason for it. Yeah. At the end of it, you could argue that he had one hand in a stick, and that's a valid argument. The problem is, is that the referees don't care. If you slash a stick out of somebody's hands, that's a call either way. So unfortunately for that one, yeah. um, it's the right call. Well, that it is the right call. And that's the other thing, too, is like we talk about what what makes a slashing minor by definition. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it was called interference, but regardless, as soon as the stick gets chopped out of somebody's hand, Her arms mean, going up. Yeah, there's your evidence right there. I mean, there's no there's no reason to do it on his own entry with a guy that is not, you know, he's anywhere further near away play. from the play. And I think that's where. You know, it does merit the interference call um, versus a slash, right? Yeah. Um, and and again, I know what Crookshane's trying to do. He's actually doing, in theory, the right thing, just a little bit too much of it. And again, you know, if if you rub shoulders a little bit, and, and just like again, sometimes all you need to create is a half a step. And yeah. again, what makes this play egregious to the point of a penalty is he's not even close to the play of the puck, and you knock the stick out. By definition, that's well, well, that's the thing too. Is like it's it's one thing just kind of stand in the way a little bit. You run kind of a roving pick versus there's no reason to take a stick out of his hands, right? There's no, yep. You know he's not near the play, so. And I don't, I don't think that was the intention again by Kirk Schenke. You're just trying to maybe tie him up. Um, yeah. It's kind of a bang bang play again, one hand of the stick, and you know sometimes can we say maybe he sold the call a little bit, maybe, but at the end of the day, 
the way yeah. that is shown in real time again, let's remind ourselves in real time that's going to get called. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moments later, Zach Okabe had interference uh, play on this four on four play here. Huskies were pretty animated about this one. And uh, honestly, I thought it was a pretty good call. I mean, this is a, a tough one to pick up. It's going to be on the attacking blue line here coming into the zone and uh, clipping essentially a player coming underneath here. He's trying to stay on side. Um, but I mean, if mm -hmm. you kind of back it up here, Nick, and, and we get another look at it with the breakout pass, is that like, you can't undercut a defender. You know what I mean? Like in, no. like in my mind, like you just take a look, like you can't, I mean, he's right underneath him here and like, you can't. <laughs> yeah. So the argument that from the Huskies bench is, well, wait a second, this is much his ice as it is mine. Right. The issue is, is that he goes body contact and initiates the contact. Now, if this is where, if Okabe doesn't like sort of load for the hit or brace himself, I think maybe he gets away with it. Um, but at full speed here, this is initiating context. So you could, this is actually perfectly highlighted. You can see him drive right into the opposing player. I don't know how you can really how, how you, defend that hit. You really you can't. can't call it. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So because here's the thing, it's like if he's coming through and he takes this defender out and the Huskies have a two on one, let's say there's a guy on the weak side, that defenseman is out of the play. He's gone. Right. Like, and from the referee's perspective, now I get it for St. Cloud. He's like, well, he's just trying to get back on side. This is incidental contact. Sure. Uh, maybe that's an, an okay call. But again, you're taking somebody out of the play again. You both have yeah. a right to that ice that's in front of you. And again, if you both, if Okabe and them make contact, but no one falls, I think no harm, no foul. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, is like, you know, you're offside right now. Just saying, just using the excuse, I was trying to come back on side doesn't mean you can undercut a defender. You have right. to find a way to minimize that contact or you're going to yep. have to tag up and wait for your teammate because you're offside, essentially. So Correct. I, I yep. thought this was a good call as well, too. Western Michigan, Hugh Larkin, a slashing minor at the 1323. Martin, Nick, I only have one clip of this. This one is about as cut and dry as they possibly <laughs> get coming Can't into get the it. yeah coming into the defensive zone if you're Western Michigan right down here in the corner. Yeah, pretty... <laughs> pretty cut and dry i mean it a tomahawk chop right on top stick yeah. snaps in half uh yeah pretty cut and dry next yeah <laughs> jack rogers okay so this is the one that led to the first power play goal uh for the huskies against 1731 a hooking minor here this one i thought was a pretty weak call i get why it was called from the official's perspective but we're going to get a reverse angle of this one here too after we go through the main broadcast feed and this was pretty incidental battling here i mean you get a little bit of a tug um but it's, it's hard to see, right? It's hard to see on the broadcast feed. We'll get a reverse angle here in just a second, but I thought this one was pretty weak. So, you know, as you... Yeah, that's pretty weak. I don't like that call. I'll put it to you that way. Yep, um, so, again, when we talked about in the first clip, right, um, if we can go back to that reverse angle real quick, Noah. Yeah. Again, what the referee is seeing here is probably right there. Yeah. And what I mean by that is it appears to the referee... Because if you actually go back like two or three frames. Oh, boy, you're making me work here. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm trying to illustrate what the red seat right there. What really is happening is the defenseman here is trying to turn back and, and shield, right? Right. But I think the if I'm reading the visuals correctly, I think the, the interpretation of the ref is the stick is actually what's turning his body. Yeah. It definitely did not happen that way. Um, and again, you can see where there just there is no really affect to me yeah in terms of impeding progress or not allowing him to make a play 
But yeah. I think the interpretation from where the referee is positioned and just the way the bodies are sort of contorted like that with a stick already in the midsection, he made the call. I understand the reason for the call. Right. But I'm with you. I, I'm I'm not a fan of this call because to me, the stick did not have an effect yeah. on the player nor the player's ability to make a play. And that's that's exactly what I wrote in my notes is essentially I wrote pretty weak, but official is on the backside of the call from reverse angle in real time. You can see the logic, yep. right? You can see why he would make this call. So, you know, but, you know, those kind of things happen too, where it's like the official here, you know, sometimes you kind of, as an official, and, and I officiate myself, I just got back into it. And it's like, sometimes you kind of err on the side of caution a little bit here. You're looking at this play and you're thinking, well, if this is a hooking call and the Huskies create a turnover and score Western Michigan, that bench is going to be livid, right? Yep. So, you know, and from his angle on the backside, we have a good, you know, still frame of it here and slowed down. I mean, you can see why he thought that that tug was enough to, and then of course he pins his guy to the wall too, which doesn't help. So, um, you know, probably all of it together maybe makes you think, huh? You know, maybe I should put my arm up here, but I thought it was a pretty weak call. I think you and I yep. are in agreement that this is probably yep. the first first one of the game where we're like, ah, uh, maybe you don't call that one. I don't that's think a, that's one of those 50 50 calls. Yeah, I think. yeah. exactly. Um, so the Huskies are down one nothing at this point. They give up the power play goal. Then moments later, Grant Deshaun gets a charging minor with just under a minute to play. Uh, and this one's kind of interesting. I, I kind of went back and forth on this one, Nick. But I think as we'll see as we go through, this is in real time here and uh again from this angle looks like a clean hit um and it's kind of hard to pick up until we really go through the slow-mo and we'll go through it again here too of course the camera zooms out (laughs) right when the hit happens right but right here i think he leaves his feet nick i really do and that's the definition of charging you can't leave your feet it's it's either for those who are wondering by the way it's either three strides three hard strides towards your player Mm -hmm. but you or you can't leave your feet at any point. And I think right here at the very end, we get it slowed down. I don't know. I don't know, man. I think if you actually go back to the first, uh, the first one, right? Because remember a couple of years ago, I, I I think it was the Rafi Torres or I forget which NHL player when they had a charge, right. And he was gliding into the opponent. People were like, well, what the hell they talk about distance travel too for charging, right. Is did you basically go out of your way yeah. To make to make a a hit on a player in a, an egregious fashion. So three and, strides, yes. I think I saw three. Yeah, fine. He, he does he does put his you know feet kind of in the train track, so he's not striding hard. By the way, Granishon is down below our screen. He's down essentially for those on the YouTube feed where it says live video breakdown. He's just chipped the puck into the zone. He's coming just from yep. the uh, essentially the blue line along the wall and coming from essentially there. And you'll see him enter the frame right here couple of extra strides and I, I don't know if I, if anything, yeah. I think you're right where maybe the referee again, backside referee on top of the play looks at that back foot come up off. The ice. if you look at it closely, I think his front foot is still on the ice. Yeah. It's so hard to tell. Very, very tough. I, I don't know. I, I I'm again, I'm, I'm with you to me. It's a 50, 50 call because I'm more, if I, if I'm a referee, I'm not for a reason. Um, I'm more looking at, was this a clean hit, right? If this caught, you know, and so also let's look at his arms and his follow through here. So let's, let's go back and see the follow through up top. The stick is also up a little bit towards his upper body. And maybe that's part of the charge. I don't know if you saw that the first couple of times. Yeah. You know, the sticks up high and even maybe catches the back of the helmet there too. So 
you take all that into account right there. Yeah. And nah. it does, I think from the referee's position to remember he's above this. So I, I don't know if he got a, a different look on it. So he's, so he's actually behind the net. He's wheeling around from he's behind around. here. Okay. And that, and that's the thing where it's like, you know, you look at this and I think, all the parts by themselves don't warrant a call, but I think when you put them all together, he's up. He's kind of up in the air. Does he leave his feet before? Ah, it's up for debate. Are his hands a little high? It's up for debate. But you put those two things together with the fact that he came from, let's be honest, he didn't stride hard, but he came back from a country mile to yep. finish this play. You know, And you have a player who, you know, upper body is the principal point of contact in some senses. You can understand why it's called charging. Yeah. You know, I think as a Huskies fan, you're frustrated with it because you think it's a clean hit. But at the same time, I mean, we slow it way down here, Nick. I mean, it's so hard to. It's so hard. And again, to tell. like are his feet on the ice. You know what I mean? And again, you know, this is not what the referee sees. Let's go back to that first um, full speed hit. This is what the referees are using to make to make their judgment. And at the end of it, I, I just, I feel like for where the referee was and seeing the distance, yeah. so you can see he's watching the play unfold here and he sees the contact pretty clear in front of him. He felt just putting, like you said, all the pieces together, um, you know, certainly not intent to be a dirty hit. Yeah. Um, but I think just putting those pieces together, he felt that it was necessary to call. I don't know if I would have called it the same way or made a call myself, but Again, our job is to try to understand why the arm goes up, not necessarily debate whether it's a call or not, right? So, Nick, if we're taking a look at this, all things considered, is this a good call or not? If you're not even from a Huskies fan, is this a good call? I'm torn. <laughs> I'm real. I no, seriously, yeah, because it the the part that is it's tough to see is, and the our referee would have had a better side is you know did he have a better uh, did he see maybe the the principal point of contact higher than what we're seeing from the broadcast angle? Right. Did he feel like he left his feet, right? To me, I think most referees, if those two are are more clearly not happening, I don't think that call is made. Um, can, so can, if you're, if you're, I, so now let's go back to the Huskies Warming House podcast. If you're talking to a St. Cloud State fan, can you justify this call? <laughs> I can, can justify the call. Yeah, I okay. can. I can. Um, it's a tough one. Again, it's it's borderline. Again, the broadcast angle is much different from the referee's line of sight. Right. Um, and it looks to be clean. But again, you kind of wonder what the referee saw. Um, if anything, again, that referee's positioning. Let's talk to Nick Perbeck. Hasn't been necessarily the Huskies favorite. Well, the other thing, too, is like uh we've talked so much about principal point of contact right mm -hmm. uh and that's obviously a big piece of this too grant Deshaun actually picked up a minor 30 seconds into period number two this i thought was probably the worst call of the night um an interference call here for me this is a very clean hit uh, in my mind and uh yeah we'll just kind of roll the tape here i mean puck coming to the neutral zone yeah i mean that's a pretty clean hit just because the guy i mean the guy got spun around sure but that's not first of all it's not interference at all no I mean, that's a guy just getting leveled, but I mean, it's so, shoulder, it's shoulder on shoulder. I mean, it's, it, right. it looks, so the, it looks bad, but it's shoulder on shoulder. I'm wondering if the referee and I mean, is it the, which referee makes the, makes the call, right? Is it the backside I, I or think is it it's the, the guy right here up, up on the wall here? Um, but I don't know if we'll get a chance to look at it. Here's a reverse angle. I mean, that's, that's clean all day. I mean, it's, it's a big hit. It's a, 
it's a it's a good hit. The player, at least from what we saw, had possession of the puck. So interfering on what? Yeah. That's my question. I don't this one. I can't defend this call. Yeah, pretty. It's a shoulder call. on shoulder hit. If you're worried about maybe a blindside angle, still that's not interference. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that was the worst call of the night. That's a West, bad call. Yeah, Western Michigan, 639 mark, period number two. Hugh Larkin uh, picking up a hooking minor. I also thought this one was fairly weak, although I can see where it came from. We'll get a much better look here. But, I mean, zone entry uh, by Joey Molinar coming into the zone here. Yeah, I mean. I think, I you know, honestly, it's more obstruction than it is hooking. Yeah, because he does. And again, watch the feet again. When I talk to referees all the time, they're going to say, watch the feet. If he is dragging his feet and even though the stick is maybe not necessarily across his body there, he is leaning into his hip and trying to lean and and try to essentially he's got his right elbow um, kind of pinned down. Right. So again, at at, from the stick, because everybody watches the stick, they always say it's got to be that cartoonish from you know back behind the the curtain sort of under the umbrella hook right where you're pulled and, and you have that distinctive motion right i think here the referee seen what i see which is um a guy that's on his skis he's not moving his feet he is leaning into the hip um yeah. and he's got uh, a point and, and again you maybe even get a call to hold but one thing here is that the free hand is on a stick so i, I think they made an obstruction call and gave it a hook and it's still a weak call regardless to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing is like, I mean, he kind of, you can tell he impedes, but it's not like heavy. Right. You know it's, what I mean? It's not egregious. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a weaker call, but again, just, and again, from the perspective from us, and this is actually, we had a good look at this in the broadcast angle um, yeah. from where the referee would be positioned. Um, I believe at the top of the screen, right. If, if I recall correctly, uh, yeah. I think he sees what I see too. And and again, from the rear side with that stick coming out, I think it probably looks more wrapped around the body than maybe we saw it from our angle. Certainly uh, second period, uh, about four minutes later, Zach Galamos, a tripping two minute minor. This one was kind of tough as well too, but I mean, I can see as an official, uh, it's going to be right here, right at center ice there. Um, oh, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. We'll, we'll get another look at it here. A uh, couple different angles here. First rewinding and slowing down the, of course, puck's going to come up. Joey Molinar is grabbing this puck here. I mean, you kind of get the stick whack. Yeah, but the, I, the player's turning. Uh, I don't I don't really think. Yeah, he like steps it's on the puck. That's what, it's so hard to. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't like that call. I'm sorry, yeah, because if, if you if you get to the whack right there. Yeah, I, mean, I know the I mean, lens kind of gets in the way, but. He's already off balance, in my opinion, because he's yeah. turning around for the puck. His momentum's carrying the other way. I really don't think that the the stick is what makes him fall down. I don't. Yeah. And again, like this. But again, let's let's talk about the referee's perspective. The whack happens again. This is happening right here at full speed, right there, yeah. and then. Yeah, yeah, he's he's on his it, way down, and he looks off balance, which. You know, one plus two in the brain says that's got to be the stick. Yeah. So that one, I can, I can, I can give that one a little bit more, uh, pres- especially this angle here. Yeah. Um, that one, I can understand the call more, but again, it's, I don't know. That's a, it's like I'm trying to pull it back to the full, full speed one. 
Um, we'll have to go back just a few moments here, but like, like you said, I mean, we're slowing these down and trying to, you know, kind of nitpick them. But again, when you see it at full speed, we're going to get the <laughs> full gamut of this one, apparently. Um, but when we kind of slow it down at full speed, um, for Zach Galambos here, first camera angle, I mean, you can see why the official probably thought, I mean, it looks, yeah. you know, but then when you slow it down, it's like, you know, and this is one of those where it's like, think about how many of these calls happen in a hockey game. These 50-50 calls where it's like, do I call it? Do I not? Was this inadvertent contact? Was this a penalty? I mean, you have the slash across the knees, which even though it's not a place that harms a lot when it comes to slashing, it's still a slash, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean. So what are we thinking here? Good call, not not good call? It's, you know, from <laughs> from at, at live speed, I can't, I can't. L- I can't disagree with the call. I can't yeah. disagree with it at, at, at full speed. All right. Well, we've got, I believe, like three or four of these left to go here. Um, and then we'll get the total penalty breakdown. The next uh, call is going to be on Chase Hillebrand for a charge. And for me, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. It is the uh, team bench miner first. Uh, this is the one that had everybody going crazy. Okay. Okay. So we have Jackson Castor and that uh, Josh Lidke, Vietti Mietnin, Micah Miller, Grant Kirkshank, Jack Peart on the ice. Mm-hmm. Team bench minor, I believe Zach Okabe is the one who sits in the bench. Um, St. Cloud, uh, essentially, um, it was a new change by the bylaws introduced this past summer that um, apparently Zach Okabe, from what I understand, was not on the ice at the end of the period and skated from the bench to his goaltender. Some thought it was Micah Miller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you can't skate from the bench across the ice, especially in period number two, to your goaltender because mm-hmm. it can potentially create an altercation with the other team. It's Some, a, it was this was called what last week or two weeks ago against yeah, uh yeah forget who it was called, but this this has been called before this season. Yeah, it certainly has and it's a, the whole point is to avoid altercations from guys coming yep. back through. I get the people's frustration. It's called a like protocol breach or breach of protocol right. or something like that. It's a goofy and call. Yeah. It's a super goofy call. And again, we'll just kind of roll it through here. Like I said, these are all the guys that are on the ice. They gave it to Zach Okabe, whether or not he was just serving or that was actually him. I'm not it's sure. It's a bench minor, so I mean. Yeah, it's, basically. You know. So um, this is, we'll just wind down the final few seconds of the period here. You'll get a good look of uh, Grant Crookshank and Micah Miller skating past the official towards the bench here. And that's about it. Um, I mean, it's not the greatest rule. Huskies fans were pretty upset about this. It's in the rule book. I mean, I don't know, dude. I don't know. It's I get the I get the intent of the rule. I just I'm yeah. not sure. Gino Parrish said something that was really good about this, and he said, "I always thought this was a discretionary call." You know, yeah. Is this? Are you creating issues now? Like I said, if it was Zach Okabe and not Micah Miller, because Micah Miller was on the ice, remember? Right. If it's Zach Okabe who comes off the bench skates past the Western Michigan bench and goes to his goaltender and then comes back through. I, I guess I can see it. I can kind of understand where as an official, you'd be like, "Mm, please don't do that. Like, please don't be going back against the grain here. Is this, is this just a stupid rule? Is it, uh, are are we, are we right? You know, I'm with, you know, where it's, are we right to be mad at the official for interpreting the rule book or should it be more discretionary than what it is? Like who, who's at fault here? Is there anybody that's at fault? Somebody think, has to be. I think right? it's true. Both could be right. And yeah. when I say that is the rule, I don't. I don't know how it's written. 
but it sounds like the referee is interpreting it as non-discretionary, meaning, you know, just like icing, right? You got to be across the red line. Um, or if it's not, it's, it's a call. That's sort of what it sounds like, which is with Gino, I think he, and I, I agree. I'm with Gino on this one where is law, lo as long as the temperature in the room is okay. It, the, the horn sounded, you don't see, you know, any sort of fisticuffs kind of thing. You know, the end of the pier wasn't scrappy. Uh, I'd say you let it go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas I, I think you're taking this a little bit too far. So I'm with, I'm with Gino, not because yeah. this is the high season podcast, but I mean, two teams battling out. There's a, what, what people understand too, with most teams in the NCHC, right. Is that despite all the hard battles, despite all the competitions out there, there's a lot of mutual respect for each other on the yeah. ice. There really, really is. Doesn't mean that the games can't get heated. They can't get chippy, but this game didn't have that feel to it. Right. It didn't have yeah. this. Okay. You know, things are about to explode. Like if, if there was already some chippiness and some, some after the whistle kind of shenanigans and this happens, yeah. I can maybe more understand it. A lot of penalties though. I mean, but it does give a genuine advantage to one team. And in the end, I mean, Western Michigan didn't capitalize on it. I don't think so. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I have to look at the, the score box here, but I don't think they capitalized on that power play because I don't have it listed. Uh, no, because yeah, they didn't capitalize on this one. Three more penalties here to go here. Nick in period number three, uh, Chad Hillebrand charging minor here at the four fifteen marker period. Number three, this is when he ran into Jackson caster pretty cut and dry. I mean, <laughs> you can't, <laughs> can't bowl a goaltender over. I mean, so yeah. Exactly. We'll get yeah. one more. We'll get one more camera angle on this one. I mean, at first I was like, oh, maybe he was pushed in by the defender. He wasn't. I mean, we get a good reverse angle. Look, doesn't slow up at all. Drives in towards the crease. Textbook charge. Pretty good call. I thought on this one. What do you think? Good call. Yeah, that's pretty textbook. Um, I don't think we have to do too much from there. Uh, again, you have to illnesses on the player to try to do yep. everything you can to avoid contact with a goaltender. I don't think there was enough there. Certainly agree. Now, second to last one. The last one is very cut and dry, by the way. So that one will be quick. This is the last one that we really have to debate. The 757 market period number three. Ethan Acoin contacted the head, a five minute major and 10 minute game misconduct. This one here, Nick, had a lot of Huskies fans upset about this, especially being a major penalty, too. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I don't know if you've seen this yet because, of course, you were doing the North Iowa games. I'm just going to let you interpret all the camera angles and then we'll go back. How does that sound? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Harden on the play. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, kind of walk us through here, Nick. I know what my initial thoughts were, but. So, I think this is the best thing we're going to get is he, he goes and then he, he explodes up, right? Yeah. And for the fans who don't understand, there's a couple of points of emphasis for referees that they look for with contact. They had it says he explode wait, up. Wait for this one. Watch his feet here. And his feet are out. He leaves his feet. Yeah. There's that's pretty hard to argue. Pretty hard I to thought. argue that one. I'm sorry. But, yeah. and for those who um, think that the principal point of contact was the shoulder, no, watch the head. And especially watch the head snap here. It's going to snap. Yeah. And the driving of the shoulder, like you mentioned, he's loading up to finish this play up, shoulder up in the head. That's, that, that's, that's textbooked. I'm, yeah. I hate, I hate to say it, but, and I get O'Coin. His true intention is he's trying to do a reverse hit, right? He's trying to essentially, right. you know, trying to gain that physical advantage on the play. 
The thing is, you know, you have to drive horizontally and not up. And that's the one thing as a young player who will have to learn. This will be probably the best learning experience you'll have is when you drive up, you can see the shoulder is going to go right into the bubble. That's the principal point of contact. And if the referee's in the, his position, we're supposed to be right here on the goal line. Right. Leaves the feet. I'm not sure there's much to argue there. And that's the thing is like when you run reverse hits, right? You kind of have that assumption that you're going to throw your body backwards into somebody. But the right. thing that has to make it work is the person has to be there and they have to be right next to you. If you're a foot and a half away, as he is here, you've loaded up too early, basically. Yep. And you're driving too early, essentially. And your principal point of contact is not going to be their chest. Right. It's going to be their head. So. So the, so the, the teaching point here, right. Is the angle a coin takes right now, again, you know, these are all sort of things that, you know, come with a young player is, you know, at least to me and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Noah, but you know, you're, you're trying to essentially seal the puck again down low. So he's trying to get ahead of it. Right. But, and if you're going to load up for the hit here, you know, again, you, you can't go down and explode back up. If anything, you take an angle where you get a little bit closer to the player, allow the puck to maybe get in front of you and then kind of go back. Um, yeah. And that way you actually are actually creating more puck protection that way. One by using your body as you know, the effective shield, but more importantly, again, here you leave a feet. Can't do that. Like you mentioned, he was too far away from the player. He loaded up too early. Um, at that point, if you're stopping too early at that point, turn, protect the puck, look for an option at that point you've already gone past the point yeah. of having a good technique on the reverse hit. Yeah. Probably could have just actually won the puck battle without the hit too. I don't right. know, but I mean, again, he's off his feet, heads, the principal point of contact, driving the shoulder through. I, I can see why they, they made this a major call. I that's, thought this to me, I that's, thought, a, that's a correct call. Yeah. I thought this was a very good call too. Uh, like we said, the next one, Cole Gallant is uh Interference minor. I don't know if it was negated by the Micah Miller shorty. Um, I think that was, it's probably the next graphic that we have on here. But again, I couldn't find any evidence of this one. Um, if anyone else saw it or if I missed it, which is very possible going back through, I mean, I watched the game live and then went back through and clipped all of the clips here with the timestamps. We're going to get one more look at the in real time. I mean, <laughs> for Ethan a coin, I mean, pretty hard to. I guess we have a lot of <laughs> replays. I figured, you know, we we discussed this one quite a bit, obviously, because I think Huskies fans, anytime you see a major penalty, you wonder if it's justified. But like I said, um, I think the call was negated due to the shorthanded goal. I'm not sure. Maybe I missed it. Maybe it was in there. Couldn't find it. But anyway, our last penalty, uh, Chad Hillebrand, a hooking minor, 1739. Huskies went on the power play down two. Um, this one's right here. Pretty hard to not it is argue. What it is on that one. Yeah. yeah, we'll get a reverse angle on this one. I mean, pretty... <laughs> I mean, stick is, you know, in between the feet. Um, again, that's again, officials. That's what they look for is, you know, yeah. what's, what's the stick doing? Is he obstructing the players and in between his feet? Um, at the end of the day, it's your onus as the player to keep your stick in, um, in the proper position that was not. So again, yeah. hard to argue that call. So, uh, final penalties, eight penalties for 27 minutes for St. Cloud, seven penalties for 14 minutes for Western Michigan in the loss. Uh, breakdown by period, St. Cloud State had four penalties in period number one, two for Western in the same period, uh, two penalties aside in period number two, if you count the bench minor at the end of period number two for St. Cloud, and then three to two, the advantage actually went to Western Michigan getting more penalties in period number three, although St. Cloud uh, picked up the the extra, essentially, uh, on mm -hmm. that, because Ethan's a coin was technically 
two penalties put together. Nick, well, let's count here. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I've got ten of these calls, ten of fifteen that we said were good calls. Okay. Yep. So for those playing the home game, that's a sixty-seven percent percentage. We had um we had or sorry, eleven of fifteen, because I'm I guess we can count the game or the interference or the sorry, the game misconduct is technically part of the 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 call. They're like they're two calls that go together. So eleven out of fifteen, seventy-three percent of the calls were correct. Three of which, three of fifteen, we said were poor calls, which is twenty percent of the calls. And then the protocol bench minor breach, I just put a question mark. I don't know how to interpret that. <laughs> To be honest with you, I, I don't know if it's a good call, a bad call. If, if that's, we, if, that's, I don't know. If we want to say it's a bad call, 27, 26.7% of the calls were poor. Nick, uh, penalties uh, and officiating for the NCHC came under fire last season, came under fire in the Omaha Duluth game this weekend, Friday night here in St. Cloud. All things considered, I mean, what do you interpret here? Are, do Huskies fans have a right to be frustrated? Um, is there something to be said for them giving up three power play goals against? Only one goal in this game was not tallied on special teams, and it was the last goal of the contest. Um, how, how, are we, how are we looking at this here? So, you know, I think you can have a mix of both. I think there's frustrations, especially with that protocol breach, whatever the hell that is. Um, yeah. I get it. Again, I'd like to get more clarification. Maybe that's a good uh, a question for one of the NCHC, um, you know, crew official uh, supervisors as to how it's preached to them, whether it is more discretionary or whether it's a, a kind of a black and white line. It sounds that the referee interpreted as a black and white sort of thing. Uh, but the others, again, I, I again, we counted what, 10 to 15, that's 75 percent of the calls, right? Yeah, effectively. Yeah, the ones um, we said were poor were the Jack Rogers hook in period number one. Yep. Uh, the Grant Ashan interference call to start period number two. Yep. And then that hooking minor against Hugh Larkin, where he was coming in. Uh, Joey Molinar was coming in. And then, of course, the question mark for the breach of protocol. And I think when you have a penalty field game like this, right, where right. the referees, and I think that's really where more of the frustration comes into Noah is when you have crews that call more than maybe you're used to where you have this many penalties 15 in all right essentially the fans response is the referees are influencing the game right it becomes less about the referee making the right calls versus another penalty another flag right and no and it's so much easier to say that when you had Western Michigan tally two power play goals at the end of period number one, right? So they, yeah. they, they tally that marker. St. Cloud gets a power play goal in period number two. Western Michigan power play goal in period number three, a shorthanded goal from Micah Miller in period number three, right? So like it's so easy to look at that and say, oh, the referees influenced the game. The only play that I looked at that I thought really influenced the game because the major penalty was a good call. Yeah. The only one that I thought influenced the game was the breach of protocol and it didn't lead to anything. Right. It didn't lead to anything. Um, so, and we talked about that one already. We talked about how that one, yeah. you know, talked if you, in terms of. If if you're Brett Larson, I guess final wrapping point, and we'll end our video breakdown and move on to the women here and Saturday night for the men here. Um, if you're Brett Larson and the coaching staff, Dave Shyak, RJ Anga, you look at Friday night, are you frustrated with the officiating or are you more frustrated with the fact that your special teams was poor besides the shorthanded goal and the power play goal that you 
tallied, obviously. I think if you are Brett Larson, you understand that, yeah, there's going to be games where referees call him tighter. And I think you can't control that. He knows that. He'll never probably publicly admonish that. Right. But what he would publicly admonish that is, hey, if we're if this is the way the referee's going to call it, I mean, how many times in the bench have you and I said, stay off the refs, guys, right? You know, you guys, yeah. you guys stay off them. If they're going to call it tight, then you got to be careful. And yeah, both I think, teams are on the same ice sheet. Yeah, exactly. And you got to be more upset that given that your specialty teams uh, were put in a lot of work, put it to that way. Um, that's an area of emphasis. And the PK was disappointing. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Shorthanded though in power play, got to be happy uh, to get markers there. Almost tying the special teams battle three to two, technically, then the yeah. extra goal by Western Michigan. But that will do it for our video breakdown. We will head back to the rest of our recaps. Okay, so uh, yeah, we are over an hour into the show. So let's talk about Saturday and move on to the women here quickly. Uh, Saturday, a much better finish. Grant Crookshank, like we mentioned from Micah Miller, opening the scoring and the Huskies never looked back. I mean, shots 29 to 12 on Saturday. A much better finish for this Huskies team. I mean, just plain and simple. Maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll break down this as part of the first 12 games when we hit our extra ice session. We'll cruise through the NCHC here and move on to the women. How does that sound? That works, yep. All right, what's on tap for the NCHC? Duluth will travel to Western Michigan next weekend. Miami is at North Dakota. Uh, UNO and DU are both off. You'd think they maybe would play each other, but, you know. You'd think. Uh, they're <laughs> off. Uh, St. Cloud State will travel to Colorado College this weekend, our first chance to see the Tigers in their new white uniforms. Uh, NCHC standing 16 points, a 5-1 record for Denver atop the NCHC. Western Michigan in the number two spot, nine points at a 3-1 and one record. Eight points for Colorado College in the number three spot right now. Nick at two one and one. Omaha um, two points behind with six one two and one. Uh, last home ice position in fourth. Saint Cloud uh, is at fifth. Duluth behind them in sixth. Both at five points and a two and two record. One two and one. Four points for the North Dakota Fighting Hawks in seventh. And Miami is 0-5-1 with a single point pulling up the last spot in the NCHC. Um, as far as the preview, uh, St. Cloud does have Colorado College this upcoming weekend. What's the key for St. Cloud as they had to face the Tigers? Don't uh, don't take them lightly, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think if you are looking at this uh, opportunity that you have in front of you, uh, the Tigers are a much better team this year. Um, and at the end of the day... Yeah. Um, you have to be ready for him because if you aren't, eh, things are going to get a little crazy. Let's just say it that way. Yeah, certainly would agree. Very excited to see this matchup and see if the Tigers can uh, give the Huskies a good game. But of course, St. Cloud, let's pull away uh, with all four points. See if there's any update very quickly to the pairwise here. Normally we like to take a little bit more time, but I think that we're, a little bit pressed for time, and USCHO wants to be a little bit slow here. Now we go. Actually, atop the um, pairwise right now is BU at 6-3, mm -hmm. and three, followed by Denver, Michigan, Penn State, and Connecticut. UConn moving up to 5. St. Cloud right behind them in 6. UMass, Lowell, Providence, Quinnipiac. Michigan State up to 10th, Nick, right ahead of Western Michigan. Minnesota, the Gophers at 12, uh, tied with Merrimack in that 13 spot. Minnesota State, Mankato. Uh, UMass is still at 15 at 5-5-1. Five, five and one. I don't understand that. Um, and then Harvard uh, dropping all the way down to 16, even though they are 6-0, <laughs> which is interesting. Ohio State, RIT, ASU, Notre Dame to round out the top 20. Other NCHC squads, North Dakota is at 27. Miami right behind them, tied for 28th. Omaha right behind them at 30. 
Um, CC is at 34. Um, and Minnesota Duluth is actually at the bottom at 42. Um, right now, the Bulldogs have not had a great run as of late, at least on the men's side, Nick. Women's side in the WCHA. Uh, we had a Sunday game to recap Ohio State St. Thomas, a uh, 6 nothing victory for Ohio State. And that one, they won 4 nothing on Saturday last weekend. No surprise from the Buckeyes there. St. Cloud State, Monday night, Minnesota, November 7th, uh, in Andover, Women's Hall of Fame game, St. Cloud State. Four to one victory for the Huskies in that one. What a showing for that group. St. Thomas traveled to Lindenwood Thursday, Friday, um, beat them both nights, four to one and five to three. And then the Huskies swept by Duluth at home, two to nothing and five to one. Let's start with Monday's game here, Nick. Clara Hemlerova opening the scoring from Taylor Lynn and Bailey Burton, Addie Scribner and from Courtney Hall and Emma Gentry, both in period number one. Bailey Burton on the power play in period number two from Clara Himmlerova and Yanina Newland. Gophers getting one back in the middle frame, but Allie Cornelius, an unassisted marker in period number three. Shots 35 to 19 in favor of the Gophers. Faceoffs uh, 38.7% for the Huskies, 24 for 62. One for two on the power play, perfect two for two on the kill. Sonia Hola, only one goal allowed on 35 shots. Snapping a 37-game losing streak against the Gophers, only their fourth victory in 108 meetings against the Gophers, best goal margin spread against the Gophers ever. I mean, not much more you can say about what a fantastic game this was on the big stage. You you talk about games that prove that you are making strides. This is one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to feel happy for the ladies, especially some of the upperclassmen who really have been working for this moment for years, right? And yeah. we we've seen the potential at times. But it just never seemed to be building and building and building up to just more consistent, shall we say, results. And now with Idolski at the helm and uh, a program that looks much different on the ice, it looks much more, shall we say, competent in terms of putting a lot of the elements together and, you know, actually having a good product on the ice that can be both defensively and offensively. This is a statement game. And you yeah. got to feel good for the program. You got to feel good for the players. Uh, got to feel good for Adolski too. Um, I keep saying Adolski. It's Idolski. I apologize for that, Brian. <laughs> first name. Um, first name Brian. <laughs> right. Uh, but you, you just you have to feel good. Uh, and it's interesting when we when we go to talk about the weekend series. This is in a unique position too, right? Because I was thinking about this is you know a lot of fans' reaction. This is disappointing because you just beat the golfers, right? Let's just say Cloud hasn't been in a position where they have to be able to take those emotions and learn how to keep winning consistently, right? There's yeah. now this is something that's shall we say newer to the and, to the squad. And this Duluth team is really good. This They're year. good. They have had three or four, maybe even five games this year against the big three up top, where they probably could have stolen one, if not both of those games in the weekend. They've had some really good finishes here. And you look at the standings, we'll get to it in a second. St. Cloud actually didn't get burned that badly, all things considered, when it comes standings-wise because of that victory with the Gophers. So Friday night, Duluth 2-0 victory. Of course, Huskies didn't score. 25-14 shots for the Bulldogs. Faceoffs, uh, 26-45 for for the Huskies for a 57.8%. Uh, face-off percentage, pretty good there. 0 for 1 on their only power play try, perfect 2 for 2 on the kill. Um, Jojo Choback, 23 saves on 25 shots. And then Saturday, 5 to 1 loss uh, for the Huskies. Um, uh, 
Duluth getting a power play goal to start the game in period number one, two goals in period number two, two in period number three, and Grace Wolf from Allison Green with like 40 seconds left in that game uh, to break the shutout opportunity for the Bulldogs. Shots 25-19 for Duluth in night number two, 50% exactly uh, on draws, 23 for 46 in night number two on the weekend, 0 for 2 on the power play, and uh, 2 for 3 on the penalty kill, giving up that lone power play marker. One of the few power play markers that an opposing team has gotten against this women's team, and Sonia Hola stopped 20 of 25. Nick, um, you look at the standings here. Ohio State in front, 31 points. Minnesota, 27. Wisconsin, 21. Duluth improving to 5 and 5. They're at 15 points. Uh, two points ahead of St. Cloud in fifth at 13, who's four and eight. Mankato's behind in 10 with a three and seven record. Bemidji has three points at one and nine, and St. Thomas has not won a game in eight tries. Uh, with that victory with the Gophers, St. Cloud's still in a position to do some damage. This Duluth team is very good. How do you assess the weekend? And if you're St. If you're St. Cloud, who is off this week, how do you how do you assess things moving forward here? I think you have to look at this as a learning experience, right? Because not only did you, and you got to look at the positives, right? The, you beat the golfers and you beat them handedly. Uh, Something that you can't really say you've done in a long time. Right. Yeah. I I think more so now in case someone's curious, (laughs) 12 years. Yeah. But I think now it's how do you continue to climb the mountain? Right. And that is, you're always, I shouldn't say you're always, but you have for the, a very long time been used to looking up at your competition, right? And now you're learning how to not only climb the mountain, but now you're learning how to stay not only where you're at, but try to keep climbing up, right? And that's part of the learning experience, right? And granted, tough three, you know, three games. You play yeah. the Gophers on Monday. It's a short week. Yeah, uh, from St. Cloud, five games within the span of essentially uh, like nine days or something like that. Do you think there was some some lag or some layover from playing three games and four nights and then having to come back three and a half days later and play again? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day that you can't control the schedule. What you can control is how you prepare, um, how you check your emotions, right? It's it, It's easier said than done. And for yeah. the women who are riding a wave of positivity, again, it was a five-game winning streak heading into Duluth. Um, you kind of wonder if maybe uh, they were a little high on themselves, you know, especially after a win against the Gophers. But again, if we talk about the WCHA, there's no off weekend. And yeah. I think this will be more of a learning experience in terms of how you can – there's no easy pass, right? Yes, you beat the Gophers. That's, that's something to celebrate. But celebrate it. And then yeah, look ahead your next opponent because they come quick and they're just as talented. Yeah, it's too bad. St. Cloud wasn't off last weekend and then playing this weekend. But you right. know, it is what it is. Uh two to nothing victory for the Bulldogs on Friday night. And uh, both of those goals coming within the first couple of minutes. Huskies looked a little bit tired to start that game and probably had a good chance to come back in that game on Friday. Just couldn't find the answer on Saturday. Of course, the score left a little bit to be desired. What's on tap for this team? Uh, UW-Eau Claire will face Minnesota State-Mankato um, tomorrow on Monday for a non-conference game. Uh, Bemidji State will travel to Ohio State. Harvard will travel to um, Duluth for non- non-conference action. St. Thomas will travel to Mankato Saturday, Sunday. And Minnesota will travel to Wisconsin Saturday, Sunday. So pay attention to that Minnesota-Wisco matchup. And then Colgate will travel to Ohio State Tuesday and Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Women are off. Like we mentioned, their next matchup will be on the 25th against Lindenwood. 
over to the Minnesota Wild here, Nick. Last portion of the main part of the show. Our extra ice session will be nice and short and sweet, about 10 minutes or so. But we will interpret uh, St. Cloud men's and women's a little bit deeper here if, for those who are looking for that. Uh, Minnesota Wild, 7-6 and six and 1 on the season, 15 points on the year. They are 2 points out of 3rd in the Central right now. And they are 3 points out of 1st in the wild card. They are currently set in the 2nd wild card spot at a minus 2 goal differential. They play tonight um, at 5 p.m. against San Jose, uh, Tuesday against Nashville, Thursday at home against Pittsburgh. That game is in Nashville on Tuesday, by the way, and Saturday at home against Carolina. I messed up the dates of the um, Anaheim game last week, so I apologize. I said it was on Thursday. It was on Wednesday last week. Um, but Wild got to win that night as well as Friday, 4-1 to one and 1-0 one against Anaheim and Seattle, dropping a one nothing contest on the road Tuesday against the Los Angeles Kings. But on Friday, Marc-Andre Fleury, his 72nd career shutout, um, and it is a shutout against the 28th different team that he has played, the most by any goalie in NHL history. He had been tied with Ed Belfort, Dominic Hasek, Marty Brodeur, and Thomas Vokun, all of which shut out 27 teams in their careers. What a great career for Thomas Vokun, by the way, yeah. as long as Keith Ballard isn't whacking him with a stick. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the only teams that Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't shut out at this point, there are four of them, Nick, three in the West and one in the East. Do you care to take a stab at any team and see if you can figure out who they might be? Three in the West, four in the East. One in the East. One in the East. Yep. He probably has not shut out the Rangers. No, the only Eastern team is Columbus. Which is really which is interesting. Remember he had those playoff kind of hiccups a couple years ago against yeah, the I Blue suppose. Jackets? Uh interesting, right? So in the West figured he would have done that regular season, but maybe not, I guess. So in the right. West, there is one in the Pacific and two in the Central. San Jose. So your Pacific, LA. your Pacific team is actually Vegas, which makes sense because he's makes, only, on the Vegas. Okay. Yeah, yep. he played. Duh. Yeah. So um, central teams, who could they be? Chicago. Nope. Let's think outside the box. Arizona. No. Uh, St. Louis is the first one. Okay. Second one. The wild Minnesota yeah. wild. <laughs> Interesting, right? So like we mentioned, uh, San Jose, Nashville, Pittsburgh, Carolina, um, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, in that order. This wild team, um, they're defending really well. They're not really scoring a whole lot besides the game against Anaheim, which is slightly cause for concern. Gustafson looked good the other night. I thought, um, I mean, what's been your interpretation of the wild this past week? You know, the offense is not there. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing, but they look much better defensively. Uh, yeah. which is solid. Again, they're, they're still missing some key guys on injury. Uh, but our bigger concern was, could you at least turn things around defensively? They have uh, Flurry ever since those first couple of starts has looked to be much better settled in. Uh, yeah. So now it's how you maintain that defensive uh, prowess with now trying to get a little bit more offensive production on the other end of the ice. So um, I know what the injury says that hurts usually, Rossi, man, Rossi's got to find something. Yeah, um, he does. Uh, I, 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 he's playing okay in a fourth line role, but I know the Wild would like to see him shoot. Hey, shoot the puck more. I think yeah. he's been a little bit too passive, but uh, try to contribute because now with Hartman likely gone long term, uh, someone's yeah. got to fill in the gaps, and he's got to be one of those guys. I hate to say it, but he you does. Know, you know, he doesn't strike me as someone who's playing with a kind of confidence like he was in the preseason, and it's interesting no. because. When you play in the NHL, kind of similar how when Matt Boldy came in last year, 
you got to kind of come in with this swagger that you belong there a little bit. Correct. And Marco Rossi yeah. really hasn't played that way. And I don't think it's not in a malicious way. Like it's not like he, he like is lethargic or like not giving a crap about anything. I think he just mm-hmm. is maybe overthinking the game a little bit or overthinking, you know, his spot in the lineup instead of just kind of going out and playing and playing a little bit more relaxed because when you play when you're gripping the stick a little bit too tight, you're not relaxed as a shooter. You know, you're not getting production. You're not getting bounces. I think it can kind of wear on you a little bit and you start to really overthink the way you play the game. And the thing is too, is that, Marco Rossi having great success in the preseason, I thought in some sense was probably the worst thing for him because he kind of got that huge scoring streak and on a roll and on a tear out of the way before the season even started. So he felt like he wasn't gaining that traction all Mm -hmm. of a sudden when he came to the regular season and wasn't producing. I mean, if you're Marco Rossi, how do you, besides shooting the puck more and being more tenacious on pucks, playing a little bit more confidently, is there anything else that he can be doing that, you know, will get him there? Not really. I think you. I think you just have to start with shooting the puck. I really do. Uh, it, yeah. it sounds simple, but I think for Rossi, I think I think you and I would agree on this. I think if he gets one, that maybe you start building the confidence a bit. I just I feel like even in his forecheck, it feels like he's he just seems like he's expecting to be either hit or the puck stripped from him. Right. If he, he he's playing like a guy that feels like he's got no time and space. And almost every time he touches the puck, when in reality, at, at times, he's got more space than he thinks. And that's a young player that hasn't settled in, that is still adjusting to the NHL speed. And I, I honestly, maybe it's just slow things down a little bit. Um, sometimes it just takes that extra breath to realize, hey, I've got some time, I got some space. And if it closes on me, I, I, I have to feel confident in my abilities to either create more space or I can make a pass and you know at least maintain possession. How many times have we watched Rossi take the puck on the cycle all up to the blue line and try to make, shall we say the Thomas Vanek spin at the top of the blue and almost have a heart right. attack every time he does it. That's a player that is trying to force something um, instead of looking for the right play in, in my perspective. Yeah, certainly would agree. Speaking of top scorers, by the way, Kuro Kaprizov paces this team, 16 points in 14 games, 10 goals, six assists. The only player to hit multi-point categories in either um, column. Matt Zuccarello has 14 points. Matt Boldy with 11. Jewel Erickson at 10. Kalen Addison has eight points this season, Nick. I mean, what a yeah. what a great season he's had. Mason Shaw has four points along with Freddie Goudreau. He's Shaw's been, looked really good, actually. He's looked really good, so it's been uh, impressive. Marco Rossi, the single assist, like we kind of referenced earlier. Nick, um, final thing here. Marc-Andre Fleury and Philip Gustafson have really kind of righted the ship. Fleury especially has looked a lot better. Um Mm-hmm. You look at uh, this season, a 2.87 and a 9.05 for Marc Andre Fleury, six wins, three losses, and an overtime finish. His last two games, though, um, or his last five, I guess, an 8.85, um, pretty poor there, uh, a 9.71, an 8.26, mm-hmm. a 9.67, and of course, the shutout against the Seattle Kraken. Philip Gustafson on the other side, we talked about, is he actually an NHL goalie here? Well, he's played four games, uh, 9.04, save percentage, and a 3.10 goals against, but his last two starts, a 9.20 and a 9.69 against Detroit and Anaheim, respectively, and that Detroit game was a loss. Um, yeah. Are we feeling good about the goaltending here? Uh, I feel fine. I, again, I, I really feel like the team itself in front of them weren't giving them proper chances to win hockey games, and... You know, I, I know that some other folks on social media have called that Philip Gustin's not an NHL goaltender. Um, yes. You're wrong. Um, 
you may like to reward that that he's in a starting goaltender, and I would give you that. I don't know if he's starter skill-wise, but he's certainly fine as a backup role. I think the question is going to be is, how does the Wild manage the workload of Marc-Andre Fleury? And do they want to dial it back a bit at some point, especially if the Wild get themselves back into a playoff position? We're looking at you know March-April uh, right. type thing, Noah, and trying to keep them involved and maybe give them some rest. Again, Flurry is a bit older, so you know I think later in the season we'll get a better idea of just how good Philip Gustafson can be. As I think he hopefully will take on some more of that workload uh, as we get some more of those back to backs, especially. But so far, uh, again, early on, what the team has done and what the goaltending has done, right. I think Philip Gustafson has done just fine. No, I certainly agree. I think that this team has kind of righted the ship as far as their defensive play. Now they just need to kind of pop that offense off again, but the defensive yep. play has looked much better, much, much better. more structured. Um, so I, I think that it's been a much welcome change. See what they can do this week. They've got four games in the docket, including the game that will be done probably by the time most people hear this on Sunday. So I'm mm-hmm. uh, very curious to see uh, uh, how St. or excuse me, St. Cloud, how the Minnesota wild are able to respond as they move into this week. Speaking of St. Cloud though, we will wrap up very quickly the main portion of the show and head on to our extra ice set. And welcome into the extra ice session over an hour and a half here in the Hussies warming house podcast. We'll try not to keep you too much longer because Nick and I have lives to live. Uh, believe yeah. it or believe it or not. Um, but I wanted to pull up the team stats here. We're going to talk about the men's team first and assess them through their first 12 games. Of course, uh, sweeping St. Thomas in early October to start the year, sweeping Wisconsin, uh, sweeping Minnesota State Mankato, a split against Bemidji Friday, Saturday, a split against Denver, and a split against Western Michigan. They get ready to face Colorado College, North Dakota, and Miami to round out um, 2022 besides a game on December 30th against Manitoba. That is an exhibition contest. Mm-hmm. Um, this team is nine and three, six, six, seven winning percentage, um, two and two in conference play, obviously exactly 500, um, five and one at home, four and two on the road. Um, and I kind of wanted to see, I was pulling up the stats uh, when we were referencing here. I wanted to see they're eight and one when scoring first one and two when they're scored against. Um, six and zero when they outshoot their opponent, and three and three when they're outshot. So you can definitely tell how pace of play and puck possession affects this team. Four and one in one goal contests. Um, and I wanted to see their goals for and goals against. Yeah, they uh, three point one seven goals for to one point nine two against overall. Three goals for to two point seven five against in the conference. Um, shots almost identical for in terms of outshooting their opponent. So they're maintaining. Uh, conference play shots on goal versus shots against there's been some talk about this team though nick you know they're in fifth place right now tied with duluth who's in sixth uh in the nchc they're 500 with their two and two start how would you assess a, a nine and three record for this men's team it seems like uh some people aren't exactly satisfied uh with this result do you, do you think that there is more to be desired from uh, St. Cloud, I think the Bemidji game hurts that Friday. They went out to the Sanford center. I think you'd like that one back. The other two losses came against, I thought pretty good teams. So let's, let's recap Huskies fandom here for a second, because <laughs> that's what we have to do every single time we're on this channel is unless the Huskies are blowing out everybody like Miami a year ago, 10 to one, they're not happy about it. So right. reality check that doesn't happen. Right. It doesn't happen that often. Right. Um, 
again, it's it, you take a look at the ways they're winning and the ways they're losing, right? And it's mm-hmm. more important about the ways they're doing so. We've seen this team look really, really good. I think if there's one crutch, I hope if you're damn well St. Cloud, Grant Crutching doesn't get injured because he's canceled. Yeah. <laughs> Holy yeah. cow. Um, he's been and, impressive. Yeah, and Friday nights probably need to be a little bit better. But Yeah, and uh, that's... That's a college hockey symptom in itself, right? Yeah. Um, but besides the Bemidji State game, which that team looked completely out of sync, looked completely discombobulated. Right. Uh, the last two weekends, you're splitting with the number one team in the country in Denver, and you're splitting against another top 15 team in Western Michigan, who, yeah. again, they're a good hockey team. And, and I don't know what to be upset about. And people had made the comment about Western Michigan. Oh, you know, Western Michigan is better than we expected. Well, yeah, maybe, but you know, they were a pretty good team last year. And yes, they lost a lot, but you know, if they could keep that same structure, they were going to give teams fits. They've had some ups and downs this season. I don't think they're the offensive juggernaut that they were last year, but they're still a very well-oiled machine. And they showed that, especially on Friday night this weekend. And, you know, I think that a lot of people were in uproar about the penalties among other things on Friday night, but let's not forget this Western Michigan team was very good. And St. Cloud had a gorgeous response on Saturday and really put the hammer down against this Broncos team last weekend. They did. And I think, you know, for, what do you call it for, for St. Cloud again, it was an ugly penalty field game. Again, you, we can talk about the refereeing again. All we want to are blue in the face. It just, that's the kind of game you got. Yep. So if anything for St. Cloud, again, it highlights a couple of things you got to work on. It highlights the PK needs work. Um, it highlights that, you know, if you're going to get an officiating crew, um, you know, try to be, you know, try to stay off them a little bit more. Right. And, you know, it just, it kind of felt like with the way the game was flowing, St. Cloud really didn't get into its game Saturday much different story, right? Um, they came out with, you know, conviction. Um, they right. were confident. They got to their game early and uh, they took control of that. In fact, Western Michigan had what, three or four shots combined somewhere in the second yeah. period. Um, so they, yeah. they you know, had, they had like three shots, like halfway through that game. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think again, for St. Cloud, there's a lot to like um, you have depth. Again, the return of Lidke is nice. You'd like to see Spencer yes. Meyer back. Um, there's a lot to like here. Um, again, with any hockey team is how do you continue to build towards that consistency that you need heading into um, February slash March and then again, April. Right. So right. Um, there's nothing that jumps out to me. I don't think I think we're on the same page as a giant concern. Um, you know, there's some definitely some things you want to see cleaned up. But as far as an overall major weakness, this team doesn't have one, at least on paper to me, um, maybe the penalty kill needs, you know, maybe the biggest blemish right now, but you got to like the way this team's playing and competing, right? Um, you're facing some tough competition as you always do in the NCHC. You, you have to be okay with the splits against these teams. Now, again, we get to January, February, if you can start to turn those splits into some sweeps and, and avoid some catastrophic results, you're on the right track. Certainly would agree. Moving over to the women's side, our final topic here, uh, their schedule, of course, they started off the season uh, with their schedule. They played the Durham West Junior Lightning to start off the year. 
And then after that, it was uh, a sweep of RPI. Uh, uh, they were swept by Ohio State and Wisconsin to start the year, although the second game against Wisconsin was an overtime. And in fact, the Badgers had to claw their way back to get back into that game late. Uh, swept in Minnesota and then uh, sweeps of St. Thomas, Bemidji State, win against Minnesota and then swept last weekend against Duluth. They are off before traveling to Lindenwood, St. Thomas, Minnesota, and that will cap off their 2022 campaign. Nick, this team um, is currently, I believe, 7-8 and eight on the season, um, a 333 winning percentage, all things considered. They, the last time this team got to 10 wins was 2018-19, the last year that Eric Rood um, was here. They were 10-25-2, and two, um, mm-hmm. 5-19-0 and 0 on the season. Of course, they had nine victories last year, but a couple of them against not-so-great opponents. The WCHA splits, I think we're trying to pay attention to the last couple of years, 4-20-3, 2 2-21-1, 2-21-1 in the last couple of years before Eric Rood's group was 5-19-1, and, and then 6-14-4. and four. So really, I think if this team can get to eight wins in the WCHA this season, eight to ten wins in the WCHA, that would cap off a very successful season for this group as I'm looking at their record book and kind of their historical splits. Cause um, yeah, they've had not even recent decade, you know, four WCH victories, three, nine, eight, nine, six, um, five. You know what I mean? Like, they just haven't found a ton of traction in the WCHA, and they've always kind of had that losing record. This year might be a year where you know they could get maybe close to 500 the way that we've seen trending. Last weekend certainly hurts. But throughout the first uh, 15 games for this club, how do you assess the women's team? You got to love what you see, honestly. Um, being in the building myself and watching this team, significant strides. It's, there's no way to understate that. And the wins will come. Um, again, it, it's about how you are playing, right? Now, again, a bit of a clunker this past weekend against yeah. Duluth, but you've won against the Gophers, and the previous couple matchups before that, you kept it tight. Um, you had a gauntlet of a schedule, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and yes, you didn't win any of those games, but you saw the progression and the way the team was playing, and you just got the sense that this team was trending in the right direction, and it capped off with that 4-1 to convincing victory against the Gophers. Now, can they continue to build, right? I think no matter what, I'm not sure the win-loss record will really reflect the steps that they've taken. Right. Um, but if you're watching the On Ice product, there's been significant strides forward for the squad. There's a lot to like. Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, they keep playing this way. They keep building. They'll start to turn those losses into wins. Again, the WCHA is a tough conference to be in. But yeah. there's, in my mind, this is a this is a this season's going to go down as a stepping stone, yep. and I think no matter what that record says at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot to like about this squad. You can certainly see the frustration too. I'm sure you know, of course, the doubleheader at home too. Uh, you know, and fans in the building. I'm sure it was frustrating to lose both those games against Duluth, but a much needed week off for them before facing Lindenwood and kind of getting back with St. Thomas, Minnesota, uh, to cap off their 2022. You know, a good strong push, hopefully towards. Uh, You'd like to see in those last six games that push towards Christmas, essentially, for them to take four of six, if not five, if they could steal one against Minnesota and sweep their other two opponents. I think that would be a very nice end to uh, 2022 moving into the new year and the second half of the season. This women's team, like you mentioned, on a roll and definitely worth the price of admission and the ticket at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. With that being said, Nick, men's hockey traveling to Colorado College this weekend, women's hockey 
off this week before heading to Lindenwood next weekend. The Wild have San Jose, Nashville, Pittsburgh, and Carolina on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday in that order. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and for episode 137, we will see you soon in the den. Timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.